<laughs> that was Wayne's world. I know, yeah, that was really good. He he mouths it. He keeps not mouth it. It's really good. Right, seeing as it's a podcast, none of you will get any of this. Um, Before every episode, we record a bit of silence to take out the background noise. And Sia did the excellent joke from Wayne's World 2. When it goes on the big TV show, it's got to be 30 years since I've seen it. So, Hello, everyone. Welcome to What Do You Think About X? This week, we were really keen to talk about deepfakes and what they could mean um, for the future of advertising and media and things like that. And this has come off the back of the Queen's speech. So if you were lucky enough to catch it about 15 minutes after the official Queen's speech on Christmas Day, Channel 4 did the alternative Queen's speech, um, which is quite interesting. Uh, and we'll get into that in a bit. I was certainly very excited to watch it because I'm a massive nerd and I love all this stuff, um, but I'd be keen to see what Simon thought of it. And then we've got a few other documents and articles and things like that to talk through and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, well, basically, I think the idea of this, if it has a title, which I mean, most episodes do, right? So I guess the title would be Deep Fakes and Authenticity. So we're going to talk about you know, what they are, the technology behind them, where they are, what they're doing, what they could do. Um, and we may end up sort of speaking a little bit about, well, we will end up speaking a bit about the ethics of this, uh, and where this could go socially, in advertising, politically. And also this kind of concept of authenticity is interesting as well. And I'll, we'll put in the links that we usually do with uh, further reading or anything that sort of articles or stuff that people are interested in we'll put in the some video links to some examples of deep fakes but also if anyone's interested in the idea or the sort of want to refer to the concept of authenticity which we'll dig into a bit further the reading we'll, we'll put in will be uh on the origin of the discourse of inequality by george jack russo so i hope that's what comes up otherwise it's a reading that it's a re- bit of a light read that one <laughs> it's a bit of a light one <laughs> <laughs> So that that's the kind of texts and videos that we're going to be speaking about, right? If you want to look into those a bit further. But as ever, we try to do these podcasts where you don't have to do that to get something from the conversation. But that's there if you want to look into those ideas further. The deep fakes and the idea of authenticity. So I guess the best thing to do is to start with just simply what are they? Because, I mean, there may be, uh, you know, some people who haven't actually seen them. And I've only recently become aware of them. And I think it was a while ago I saw a Jeremy Corbyn, Boris Johnson one, mm-hmm. um, which perhaps we'll link that up as well. There's been an Obama one. Uh, there was a Trump one. There's a Zuckerberg one. Yeah. Um, and you also shared with me before this podcast, before this chat, you shared with me uh, two, wasn't it? It wasn't just the Queen's the, speech. So the Queen's speech was the – I think the Queen's speech is really interesting because it's the first, like – that I've seen anyway, or been aware of the first really public um, application mm. of it, like broadcast to lots and lots of people, uh, very sort of prime time with yeah something like the Queen's speech, and it, that was particularly interesting because it was about trust, the message that they were putting across, and it was very obviously a deep fake, and that was the kind of point of it, um, which has had a lot of criticism actually, which is quite interesting to get into. But um, did some more reading, and there's no lo- there's loads of them They're used for all sorts. Unfortunately, mostly used for porn, which is quite sad. Mostly used for non consensually putting people's faces on 
porn stars, which is well. Really? So we're talking about it. What it's used for? So let's let's give. What are they? What's the yeah. Like? So right. Well, let's rewind then. So um, yeah, many years ago there was a man named Ian Goodfellow, 2014, I think, was looking at um some of the research around getting computers and and models and AI and things like that to generate images. Um, and there was lots of very, very complicated approaches to this, and it turned out to be really quite difficult. And in some very, very specific domains, they were all right, but it, to get computers to generate new images that they hadn't seen already or weren't just like copies of other images, um, they weren't very successful. And then late one night, over a few beers, so the story goes, there's a really good article in the MIT Review, which I'll link. Um, yeah, he late one night thought, what if he pitted to machine learning models against each other essentially and i remember reading way back this was kind of used in spam filters and the idea was that you would you would have one model generate an image and then you would have another model check to see what was in that image so say you trained your you have the generator is the one that generates and the discriminator is the one that checks so say you've got it's really it's quite straightforward now to train a discriminator type model to detect whether or not there's a cat in the image right uh, we've all seen the image recognition. It's absolutely everywhere. That's a, that's technology that's slightly older. So you take this discriminator that's really, really good at detecting cats. And then you take another model and you say, generate an image of a cat. And then you ask, so the generator generates a random image that's probably not very good because it's not had many tries yet. And then the discriminator checks and says, no, there's no cat in that. So the generator goes back and tries it again. Hmm. And the advantage of having two models do it is that they can then do that tens of millions of times through the course of an evening and in the morning as it's getting better, better and better it's trying it's sort of testing the boundaries and, and improving itself it gets really very good at generating images of cats in this case now these are called generative adversarial networks and they're kind of the foundation of a lot of this stuff some of the really early applications were things like um, style transfer there's a few like things that they do so yes they they generate lots of images of things that computers haven't already seen but they do a thing called style transfer which is really interesting and you've probably seen the applications where one of these GANs will be trained on say uh, paintings by a famous artist and then you can put any photo into the app and it will render the photo as if it is like that artist has drawn it so vincent van gogh being the the one that i've always seen with a, with a very distinctive style you can put pictures in and it will generate a really convincing looking like vincent van gogh style image of your picture that's and that's that's quite cool the other so one we've was, got two computers here right basically or two two machine learning that one that sort of creates and produces and that can be from some existing you know data like a picture or some videos etc and then another one I think you called it the discriminator, right? That that sort yeah. of checks it and makes sure that it's. Sorry, decent. I've got I've very quickly gone beyond the base example. So the base example is get the the GAN, the generative adversarial network, which is two models. Get that to produce images that look real, and they can use they use for things like spam. You can produce very realistic spam, which is quite useful because then you can train other spam filters on them and things like that. But then very quickly, once you've got something like that that's really successful, and it was quite successful quite quickly, it was quite a promising approach. Um, once that's successful, you can then do lots of other weird wonderful things with it. So style transfer was the kind of the next, I think that was the first thing I saw around GANs. And yeah, taking a, a, like original images and applying a new style to it. So you train you train the GAN on a style of something. Um, so the, the famous painters is one. Another one that was quite common was zebras. So there was all these videos of horses 
running around and they are horses and then you run it through again and they are now, they now look like zebras they're, they're, and because it was quite early on and it was like this was in the research they they still had the shape of a horse you now because like zebras do have a distinctive shape compared to a horse but it had all the all the markings of a zebra and it was quite like okay that's quite interesting and you could see because that was quite early days they weren't they weren't super convincing but wherever the horse was it, it played like laid the stripes over the top of the horse and, and made it look zebra-ish um, so yeah, that was style transfer. The other real uh, big one that was quite popular, and there's a website, whichfaceisreal.com or thispersondoesnotexist.com, either of them. So this person does not exist, I think is just showing you pictures of people that have never existed. They aren't real. Um, incredibly convincing, photo-like. Which face is real is really good fun because it's a game where it puts up a picture of a real person and a picture generated by a computer. Mm. And you have to pick which one of these is a real person. And it gets surprisingly good like results for for humans being able to not being able to tell the difference considering that like being able to detect faces is something that humans are incredibly good at so lots of interesting applications generating images and stuff and then we go a little bit further down the road so if you can generate images or you can, you can overlay styles from one image or one style to a new image the natural extension then is to go to video because the video really to the computer the video is just a series of images back to back so you just take every still and you overlay the new style on it, things like that. And that's where we get into the realm of deep fakes. And like I'd said earlier, unfortunately, one of the earliest and most common applications of deep fakes was non-consensual pornography, which is really quite scary. So we're already right down into a really dark place with this. And part of the Queen's speech message that Channel 4 did was all about trust and, and what do you what do you see and things like that. And then the it must be said that this isn't limited to images you can use these to generate text written in the style of an author which is quite common there was a there's a letter from napoleon written to winston churchill i think which is quite interesting about um how napoleon would tackle world war ii written in the way napoleon wrote letters there's mozart work that is very much in the style of mozart but it's brand new it's not been generated from any other music things like that what, what i'm getting from you because i mean <laughs> you're racing ahead with all these different things right and that i think that means that there's limitless possibilities almost right we've, we've gone from talking about pictures to, to videos to producing letters in the style of you know dead historical figures and that's the so, point that's what i'm trying to get at is that although deep fakes and people think images it's it's not in any way constrained to that and again these are very this is a very young technology it was invented in 2014 that's also because I, I want to just come to a point briefly which i think is important to mention because you've given us sort of history of this right as well as kind of sort of starting to explain what they do and we'll get into a little bit more about what they could do and things like that but the way you sort of described the history here was that you know it was just a bunch of people sort of having a few beers coming up with this kind of fun technology right so there was no kind of overarching kind of you know hooded figure <laughs> evil intention behind this right it was just kind of a bit of a laugh and that i guess that happens a lot in these kind of technologies right when they get applied out into you know the consumer realm or the public realm so laypersons around, around this topic like me start to see it right it's already been taken bought up manipulated used for kind of nefarious mm. means right so we're used to thinking about this as a well this has a you know trajectory which started with these people in a room thinking like in the mr robot series thing they're going to use this to control politics and do all this kind of stuff and i think that is important to mention because it's, i mean it's the same thing right with the internet tim berners lee and how it sort of ended up where it is quite separate from the original intention of exactly it. yeah 
Well, that's it. And look, it's, yeah, how did it originate? Well, no, it was a very hard problem solved in a very clever way. But the box, Pandora's box is opened and it's like anything. Mm. It's okay, this is now possible. Great. But then, oh, whoops, it's up to you to apply the ethics and, and the morality of how you're going to use it and apply it. And oh, look, it turns out most people. Yeah. You said it for fraud. But that's interesting <laughs> because that, we, you know, this is just, and we won't go into this too deeply because we discussed this before, but I just wanted to come point this out because this is, uh, a little bit of a callback to a very early episode talking about data and AI when I sort of put the question on, I, I don't know if you can claim neutrality as a scientist or inventor from the technologies you produce, right? Knowing the context that they're going to go into. Like, I know it's, I mean, it's problematic to say that you should have like some kind of, uh, I don't know. Well, the, yeah, it's interesting that we think about the, the ethics of, of invention don't actually sort of seem to be a thing right it's just mm-hmm. let's just invent it because that's the purpose of discovery that's the purpose of those things right yeah and it's kind of like that's what the law's there to it's like knives right yeah kitchen mm. knife manufacturers mm. make weapons that kill people right that's yeah. that's that happens it's not their intended purpose and it's not no one lays the blame at the the knife manufacturer sorry you made your this knife too sharp yeah no yeah I, I, i'll take your point um and it's not a new thing, right? I mean, the splitting mm. of the atom bomb and all that kind of stuff. But that's, I think, the problem that spawns of this podcast, right? That yeah. we don't, the conversations around the ethics of these things do not happen at the same pace yeah. as the technological advancement, which is fortunately why we're here, Adam, to solve that. Okay, so that's interesting. So we've had a little history about it. And some mention and mentions you've made about what can we do with them you know netters videos and things like that so i just wanted to summarize that too because there's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of information coming out of this so and you've started to talk about where they're being applied in less positive ways so let's push into that a bit further so what so mm-hmm. you started talking about non-consensual porn yeah so that's the, the the big one that if you if you start looking up deep fakes you'll probably find a lot of not safe for work websites so i'd skip past there or stick your adult search for on um but they they're applied there but one of the more so i think more in line with some of our other conversations one of the more interesting applications and we'll link to this video is in politics now again this is to highlight that it's not just the imagery that you're seeing but they can be they can actually replicate voice and and things like that so in an election in India, there was a, a politician who gave a speech. Yeah, it was um, Manoj Tiwari. Wasn't it? First of all, he's the original video, he spoke in English, right? We'll link this page. It's really, really good. It's a Vice article where it shows both the videos. The original video, Tiwari speaks in English, criticising his political opponent, Arvind Kerouel. And then I think it's, it's changed into Haryanvi. Haryanvi. Yeah, which is the Hindi dialect spoken by the target voters for the BGP. Yeah, it, it's quite convincing. It, they both look like videos of him speaking, which is yeah fascinating, I think. And that's where I think it can get quite interesting because they are literally putting the words in people's mouths. And this goes along with the, the Jeremy Corbyn, the Boris Johnson ones, the, the Zuckerberg one. One of the interesting sort of, I think, signals around all this was that Facebook have actually banned deepfakes videos of any kind from the platform, which mm. is it's unusual for Facebook to ban content. They're quite they're quite liberal with what they put up. But I think they're they're seeing it could be really problematic and they understand the political implications and things like that. 
So, I mean, let's just emphasize this because this is huge, right? You've, you know, you've got a, somebody doing a, a speech and the language being changed. So what the person is saying is being changed. And they used a sort of lip sync algorithm, right? So it looked like, you know, it didn't look strange, like, you know, like a dubbed film, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you've got here, you know, messages, the potential for political messages to be changed and go viral. And it did go viral, right? This example, it did go viral. And so that, that's, I mean, this is huge, right? Because even if you, even if you regulate this, there's the problem that someone's just going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's already out there again because of social media it's out there a million times and the correction and the sort of bringing to attention the issue that this is a deep fake might not reach as many people as the original deep fake did right so we've got a real problem on our hands yeah yeah and i'm just i think if you go to github you and type in deep fake there's ready to run open source code where you can just go and build one of these on your your machine you don't even have to use anyone else's website so even if all these websites get taken down all the codes here yeah, how many responses? 929 repositories on, on GitHub where you can just download all different flavors of deep fakes that do all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and so so it's not just Facebook that's done this. Facebook have banned some deep fakes, right? But Twitter have also got this deceptive media ban, which mm-hmm. came in March this year, I believe, and Reddit updated their policy as well on impersonation on, on the platform, which obviously includes deep fakes. Well, perhaps not obviously, but it does. But the, the challenge is, and so now, like with any of this stuff, there's a bit of an arms race going on because actually it's quite hard to detect. And I think if you know what you do, like from watching the video, it's really hard to detect some of them. Now you look at the Queen's speech, there are limitations. Again, this is a really young technology. You've mentioned about the technology being still in its infancy, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, there was a, an article, wasn't there, in, in The Guardian criticising this deep deep uh, fake Queen's speech by giving the wrong impression that they are actually everywhere and mm-hmm. actually it's not a bigger problem as people think it's going to be and it will get legislated on etc cetera, etc cetera. and you can i mean i think you know watch the the queen's speech one and you could tell the difference right and i think some are better than others the boris johnson yeah. one i saw a little while ago was better but the point is if it's only been around for six years right what's it going to be like in another six years it's going to be almost perfect right yeah but the the queen's speech one is, is always trying to highlight the problem or the potential problem and they're trying to fake a very like well shot well known image right but if if that was someone's iphone camera and it's a bit shaky and there was wind and all right that'd be harder to tell and that's actually maybe more damaging from a human point of view some of these can be really tricky to fake and actually from a under the hood as well looking at the files it's quite difficult there's a there's a bit of an arms race going on where where people are now trying to build models that can detect has this been created with deep fakes which means the better those models get the better the deep fakes get and so on and so forth so there's a clear danger here politically and there's obviously the problem of well you can legislate but some countries might legislate right some you know russia or china being sort of maybe an obvious example perhaps the legislation there won't be as stringent so you've got you'd have to have international accord over it otherwise you might end up with kind of what infiltrating deep fakes like manipulations mm. of elections which we've kind of already had right where videos are, are shown so and the arms race thing so it's another technology that could potentially 
disrupt this democracy, if you like, because it's, you know, people are seeing something, you know, the democratic action of voting isn't, isn't different, obviously, but they're being manipulated in a way that the information is, is, is false. They're being pushed and kind of subtly coerced into something. So there's all that potential for that political manipulation. And so we'd have to have le- legislation, but we've also got the problem of even if there was, you know, you could have groups doing this, you know, maybe even individuals in 10, 20 years time if technology sort of becomes so readily available. Yeah, if you do it now, like someone that knows this stuff could go and, like I said, download the, the deepfakes face swap algorithm that's number one, a repository, sorry, that's number one on GitHub and probably build one of these in a weekend. Now, so what worries me about this is how this could easily stoke the fires of conspiracy theory, which seems to be kind of running out of control a little bit here, because people believe Trump when he said things about Hillary Clinton or Kinnon, right? They believe the tweet. So what's to stop, you know, someone like Trump, who was lying, right, from from creating deep fakes? And so people see the images and the problem with the conspiracy theorists as as anyone who's listened to our conspiracy theory episode right and if you haven't go back and have a, a little listen to it you know one of the issues here of course is you know it doesn't matter what you show a conspiracy theorist because you're already part of the establishment if you show them something which doesn't align to their conspiracy so the visual you know the, the legislation you know, people people break legislation and, and rules all the time in elections i mean it happened you know here yeah. in cambridge analytica yeah. so even if we legislate actually applying that so people don't create deep fake the, pro- the problem as ever would be you know if it goes out to media platforms it's too late it's already been seen but it is encouraging to see social media uh, platforms like twitter facebook and reddit etc saying that they're sort of sort of preempting this and acknowledging it and, and putting a ban on it but again you know uh, it's difficult it's difficult um, uh, so it just made me think and i'm not sure how this would play out but what i've not heard anything on this but how long till someone turns around and about a legitimate video says no that's a deep fake well quite so then we got because the problem is and this this is very interesting because now don't get me wrong i'm not yeah you know, i don't think any of us are going to be so naive to think about oh all politicians told the truth in the 90s right when we were young <laughs> but there is this like hyper they did though suspicion <laughs> Well, I, think, I think the difference is if they were found out it usually ruined a, a career right or at least uh but but it doesn't seem doesn't have any effect now but the the problem i guess is that we're also swinging too far the other way that we're creating an environment of hyper hyper suspicion so nothing anybody ever says can be trusted and of course this is exactly the tactics of a sort of a, a political party or a type of politics that favours a slide into populism um, or proto sort of fascism, if you like. And I don't want to use that word. I, I mean, I, I use that word very warily, fascism, like proto-fascism, because we've got to be, kept, yeah, that word gets thrown around all, all the time these days. And there's obviously a clear distinction we need to make. But it definitely a sort of populist kind of politics, which is trying to disrupt or use democracy um, to achieve you know, non-democratic ends. I mean, I'm just thinking of, you know, that, did you see that uh, newsletter of the the MP for Wellingborough, or the Conservative Party Wellingborough Society, oh. when they wrote, brought up, Keir Starmer brought up in the House of Commons and about tactics about, you know, 
say the wrong saying the wrong thing at the right yeah. time is better than saying the right thing at the wrong time and just say nonsense because by the time all that information goes out it doesn't matter you know you won't be held accountable because of the way that social media works etc etc so a, a, a climate of hyper suspicion where you can't trust anyone also affects your opponents your political opponents to the point where then people will say well i won't you know i won't vote for anybody or you can't trust anyone so there's no point you know there's no point even trying to change things or and th that does tend to favor politics of the status quo right so that's worrying that is a, yeah. a worrying point right that people become so apathetic and suspicious that they just don't think they can do anything or it's not even worth voting for anyone uh, and that that could you know be a problem and i think it, it ends up it, it, you end up having to treat like all media, like you do documents, right? Because it's quite straightforward to forge documents. It's kind of been, and you, you have to find corroborating evidence and things like that. It's just now it's also quite, well, it will become quite straightforward to, to fake video, audio, anything really. So where does that go? And not, so I wrote a bit of a sort of lighthearted blog post about the where these things could go in the future and talking about um, just some ideas. And actually, is it the end of video? as evidence if if this technology gets really good in 10 years time which it probably will then what what does that do and i friends and i were talking about some stupid applications of this but you'd be it'd be quite straightforward to set up a company right quite unethical but quite straightforward to set up a company where you charge people to deep fake their face onto videos of people on yachts and speedboats and at these high class parties and things like that for things like dating profile and social media profiles. That's that's doable now with the technology that's available freely. Like I could start that company tomorrow. So you start to think, well, on okay, the mass scale is really, and you say like, oh, it's not a problem yet. Well, it's not a problem yet unless you're a female celebrity that's never done adult film <laughs> because if you if you are an adult sorry if you are a female celebrity then you probably are now in some or well, quite a lot of videos on Pornhub and things like that which is really quite sad right so we're kind of moving now from so we've made this statement about the the risks of this and, and how it could be used in politics um, elections and things like that and that's a concern um but of course now there are lots of other applications of it too so we're sort of moving into this idea of what it can also be used for advertising so on your blog post you wrote about imagine sort of looking at facebook and seeing yourself on an advert in a car on a car advert right you're all in the car with all of your friends laughing and having fun and that's sort of being sold back to you as an image and also another point which was quite interesting i can't remember if you mentioned this to me or in the blog post so actors right mm -hmm. <laughs> imagine if you know you're the rock and instead of doing two or three films a year you could end up sort of what copywriting your image and so deep, you could be deep faked into films 100 films a year like is that a possible trajectory yeah. For this stuff? yeah and it's so yeah i kind of question does anyone have a brand that powerful that they could do that or mm. well, the, the other way around you could take some very talented actors that were good at facial expressions and movements and, mm. and then just overlay a very well-known face and brand on the top of them. And I kind of joke about, um, yeah, Marilyn Monroe starring in Fast and Furious 14 or something like that. And it's 
a bit out there, but it's doable. And it's like, okay, we do this with CGI already, but I think this is this is a probably a lot cheaper than some of the high end CGI stuff that is done in a lot of these films to replicate this kind of stuff. And again, like I've said, this very very young technology. It's only going to get better as years go on, and people get interested in it, and the commercial applications of it start to appear. So I kind one thing I want to sort of discuss about this because obviously. All right, so you, you might say, well, what's, what's wrong with any of them? So I want to c- just go into some of the concepts of authenticity around this. So one thing that occurs to me, and I don't know if I'm maybe going a bit too far here, but one thing that occurs to me or, or sort of worries me a little bit is this concept of authenticity. In terms of people being able to trust what they see, and that's quite interesting because I said that to you before, before we actually had this sort of this podcast we started, but we banging around some ideas around this. And because people are going to create right things that you know you could do it, you could create things that never happened, or you could project inauthentic versions of yourself all over the place, right, on your social media, or you could be sitting there watching films and not actually knowing if you're looking at The Rock, right? And I. I wonder if there's a kind of problem in the sense of human beings. I don't know. I feel like they, they, they need some kind of authentic interaction. So like I'm trying to contrast this idea of seeing films of people that aren't actually acting or aren't actually the person and theater, right? Cause that's, I guess that's mm-hmm. the thing about theater is that you are there in the moment and it seems more, real are you get are you it's more powerful yeah are you getting more of an emotional response Mm -hmm. from a a theater or seeing a gig because you're seeing a person act and move including all the mistakes they make right and i just wonder if we sort of fly into this sort of artificially constructed world where what we're seeing not just in politics but everything we're seeing around us we never really know if it's an actual person or an actual authentic thing that we're seeing someone pretending that they're on holiday or something like this why do i think that's a problem potentially and that i guess anyone who's interested in this kind of idea would probably be interested in the discourse and the origins of inequality which i mentioned before it's a really short book actually it's under 100 pages right and the sort of bottom line of this is that Rousseau thinks that the origins of inequality, it's not like an economics thing or a class thing like we get with Marx, right? But the origins are actually a, a psychological need in humans. When they enter into a, a mass society, when they enter into a mass society with people that they have to interact with, but they don't really know very well. So when you go from like a close family society or a close tribal society or something or village or communal society into, say, uh, courtly life right in the 17th century or 16th century which is what he's thinking about right you have to project an inauthentic version of yourself because you don't know these people very much and your position in society rises on esteem right and often your esteem relies upon other people being de-esteemed around you right and again there's some connections here to our meritocracy episode with Marcus Sandel uh, which is which is a really interesting discussion too right so thinking about that the and we tend to do this, right? I, I guess we tend, and and I guess that social media is a sort of like that on crack, right? Because you are interacting yeah. with people that you don't actually know, 
and that you're projecting already it's already happening right a lot of the time we project inauthentic versions of ourselves or inauthentic versions of things that happened well that was the so yeah that was the point you were, you were talking about this before and said that well actually that's these social media influencers they already exist these these yeah. completely fake personas that are on social media that are on like holiday every week and things like that and everything's great that's not they're actually not real they're not anything like that and actually there was an interesting application of deep fakes where someone made a social media influencer out of images that were completely fake so the person had never existed and they got thousands and thousands of followers and they, they were making good money off of having a social media influencer that wasn't real the person had never existed it wasn't an actor overlaid they were all completely generated from from train models and things like that it was really interesting but yeah so look we already see this this is already the and i think it'd be really good to i'd love to do we should do an episode on mental health but the the for, the kind of follow-on implications of that on people's mental health and things like that and if you read like um david goldman's emotional intelligence or martin seligman's learned optimism they both talk about self-esteem and the like that comparative sort of nature that we all have and the damage that mass media is having and whereas back in the, the 50s it was all right films and there weren't that many of them whereas nowadays we're really exposed to it all the time these fake lives that, that are impossible to have yeah so in a way like you say it's already happening right we're already presenting inauthentic versions of ourselves or or exaggerated versions mm -hmm. of ourselves you know people saying that they have the million jobs that they've done or you know something made to sort of seem more exciting than it really is and they used to be in a band or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know like you see so you're right but then you know it was always, the point is it was already happening you know george jack russo was saying it's already happening you know in the 1700s in france and that's what happens when you enter into a society where you have to interact with hundreds of people every day that you have no kind of commitment to or or friendship with or something and that's the origin it's a psychological push that's the origin of inequality all the other stuff that comes out of it like acquiring money and prestige in your job and class inequality right beneath all that is a psychological need a recognition that for you to be esteemed because you feel insecure, right? To be esteemed, you have to also make other people seem de-esteemed. And then when you put that idea, if you accept that idea that as a kind of human problem, when we socially interact with large groups of people that we sort of don't necessarily know, and I mean, that's kind of what networking is, right? Mm -hmm. If you accept that as an idea, then looking around into, you know, these different spaces where we might do that. I mean, work is a traditional one, right? The office, things like that. But now we're connected into this world like Twitter and Facebook, where it could be hundreds up to a thousand people, perhaps. It's normal to have a thousand friends, but they're not really your friends, a lot of them, right? They're acquaintances. Mm -hmm. So every time, you know, somebody comments, there's a performative aspect to everything, every debate that we have on social media, there's always a performative aspect to it, right? So we are kind of already doing this, I guess. So, you know, we've, and I've seen, articles where people you know people have been exposed for taking pictures of being on holiday where they weren't things like that <laughs> so that technology the deep fake net technology then going into that platform so you know these bands are interesting because does that include people use it like creating their own deep fakes of themselves 
on a small level like that, it's not going to be caught as quickly. No, we make a fairly one. Yeah, and who's going to care kind of thing. But I think the problem comes then as soon as there's a commercial implication or actually it's it's within your interest to do it, which is the case with social media, because basically you're you're just selling attention. And if you can get more attention with all these fancy videos and things like that, there's there's a reason to go and do it. You're now incentivized to go away and make up this fake life. And I'd love to know the, yeah, the, how that's going to then knock on to people's mental health and things like that, like how people feel about themselves in comparison to these personas. Well, that's the point, isn't it? So then if everybody, you know, if we're projecting all this stuff everywhere, and then we sort of are slipping into a social media discussion around this, but I don't think that's a great surprise considering the topic. It becomes like a stress, a stressful thing. You start to internalize what you see. You judge yourself by what you're seeing someone else posting or doing and think, oh, no, you know, I, I don't do that or I don't have as, you know, not as many people interacting with my post or whether. And that all starts to build up and it becomes a quite stressful distraction yeah. from what you're supposed to be doing during the day or uh, and you're in this space and you're not somewhere else. I think that's a really good phrase, a stressful distraction. Like it's because it highlights that there's very little positive actually in there. You're just investing time and energy into something that is actually making your mental health worse and, and draining your resources and taking you away from the stuff that actually probably best for you in the long run. Yeah, and I think this is a separate discussion itself as well. But I, the point about, I guess, this is that, you know, and we'll, we'll look at the other side of this too, because, you know, I just sound grumpy old man at this point but like when you post something right and if you if you add in the deep fake thing to this will people just go more and more and more extreme spend more and more time creating stuff because it's kind of addictive getting likes right mm-hmm. and and uh, you know no one ever sort of posts up something amazing and then stops right or does it three or four months later it becomes a thing because it's, it's a it's a pleasurable thing and a stressful distraction but also uh, you know it's sort of that again it's that oh people have liked something i've done or interested and so that becomes quite attractive maybe mm. addictive and then you you know when you pop in a lot you know lockdowns every three months into that yeah. that pot right with it might it might be one of the only ways you can get social interaction in your life at the moment so what i'm then driving at with all this going on the politics thing the personal use of him in social media and we'll get we'll come on back onto the advertising because we haven't explored that fully either but with the, those kind of two points about where deep fakes are coming in are they pushing a, a sort of where the inauthentic becomes the norm so yes we're doing it already but when you're adding a technology which makes it easier and more extreme it's just going to make it more and more extreme right and easy to do so you do it more so the point that you, so the, the whole kind of point of this long diatribe, I guess, is that come back to original point of trust and believing what you see. Mm. It's not just going to be something political or in politics, because I mean everything's political, right? But it's not just going to be about elections and things. But it's going to be entrenched in our very mindsets. You know, maybe your mate, you can't, you know, you don't believe uh, your employers or your friends or so you, you know. That's gonna it's become a, it's gonna become something that's yeah deeply into your mindset and hyper suspicious and mistrustful and performative. But then, and so I think Ian Goodfellow goes on to talk about how actual critical thinking skills become the kind of solution to it. Like, and there's lots of people working out how do we we protect yeah the kind of mass markets from this and things like how how do we what are the safeguards we can put in place from a technology point of view to, to protect against this but 
Yeah, actually, you does don't it? want to do that, though, right? Critical thinking is fine if you talk about politics, but if in the social, you don't want to be doing that, right, with your friend groups or, you know, volunteer organisations or something. You you know, you don't want to be having to critically think there, do you? Do that. Well, there's a spectrum, isn't there? There's there's, mm. there's blind trust in which it's going to leave you open to manipulation and abuse by negative people, and then there's yeah, conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah, right it's it's about having yeah actually and it makes you think if uh, and i I agree with some of the criticisms that yeah this isn't a big problem now it's not it is a problem i think it's not a massive problem now but i do think that we're we're not many years down the road and i think it could get a lot worse but if the attention it's generating now causes a big stir and gets people thinking okay i need to actually just really think about what i'm consuming that can't be that bad well, no, I don't want to be so sort of sensationist about this. The point here is exactly as you say, right? You, we've got to think about all the ways that these could be used and how they could, you know, whether or not they're ethical uses or they're unethical uses, what are the kind of perhaps social and psychological side effects of this if it goes in certain directions, right? But it, you've got to have that conversation in order to then prevent those very things from happening. Cause I'm sure there's some positive uses here. Right. So is, you know, is there, is there positive uses to this technology? Yeah. So there's a, there's actually a commercial implication because I was really trying to rack my brain for commercial implications of them and realized that I'd worked on one. Um, and the idea was we were looking at, um, so this was very much like a research stage thing and it didn't go very far. But the idea was we had all these um, like four dimensional scans, like um, seismic scans of an oil field. And they were trying to they, they take a long time to piece together and, and analyze by like experts that take years to train. And they essentially they're looking for fault lines because typically where there's a fault, they, they'll find oil. And it's, it's obviously vastly more complicated than that. But that's generally the idea. They're looking for certain structures and someone had proposed well could you use GANs using some of the images like some of this data because this data is colossal so it's really hard to process on a computer um but could you start generating like well-known faults within the data set already and the idea being that they would they would spot things that we didn't see and they would they would kind of sketch out a rough area so like that idea that oh this could be a fault here and this is what it would look like if it is one and then you go back in and check it in detail and go oh, actually yeah that is there that is a great that saved us some time so there are commercial applications there's some really fun applications so i'll link this but um there's this pizza isn't real gans generating images of pizzas that just from nothing unfortunately not very good at it so it's quite you, they do look like pizzas but the you don't get like the right sheen or the right sort of there's some of the qualities of the image it's easier to tell this city isn't real that's quite a good one and it's it's looked at thousands of images of cities all around the world and it's generating new quite convincing images of cities from like helicopter views saying oh, here's a map and that's got applications in games i guess and things like yeah. that or like media and that's the other planning thing. maybe yeah perhaps and one of the kind of another one that we were approached around uh, about a while back was well actually could i have this thing and this ties into some of the stuff around there's another like really well sort of known model called gt gpt3 which is all about language processing this idea that could you use these things to generate news articles right give this thing five or six bullet points the facts and then have it write an article in the style of a right-wing paper and in the style of a left-wing paper, and then post it on a website, then all of a sudden I haven't got to pay any more writers or journalists, actually. All I've got to do is get the facts, 
and then I can automate huge news websites or like every local paper. Do you know what I mean, you could replace it with one central thing that just localized all the news and made it apply to certain things. And that, that's quite that's quite a lot to that. And language models are quite complex, but that's another very real commercial application. As we've seen translations from one dialect to another, that's actually that's really useful. You could you could use that for a lot of good purposes, I think, in distribution of education materials and things like that. So, yeah, no, it's not all doom and gloom. I think we're just not there yet with a lot of the because, again, it's so young. We've not seen many really successful commercial organizations sort of roll this out en masse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we kind of are sort of speaking around the Queen's speech, which was had that message of suspicion mm-hmm. and warning around it. But it is important to remember, like like we did before, we talked about data and AI. There's definitely positive aspects here, which are very, really, really interesting. So you meant, yeah, computer games, data planning, learning, like, you know, translation of languages. I mean, all of that is quite, really quite positive. And, and it is, it's quite good that you mentioned learning because we are going to have an episode soon. We're going to get some guests on again soon. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe after this one, uh, where we, we're going to talk about the sort of future of, of education uh, in sort of probably from you know primary all the way to university education in terms of online and distance learning and what's happened with COVID and how uh, digital learning has had a real kind of kick up the arse with everything that's going on and what that means and what the pros and cons of that. Uh, and I'm sure that all this stuff that we've talked about here and prior you know, with the data and all that stuff, will feature as part of those conversations as well in the AI learning. Yeah, it's interesting. That would be good, I think, L- looking at the way education shifts to a, a less meat space model and more cyberspace model. That'd be quite cool. So I guess the bottom line then in this kind of, you know, I, di- I didn't just want to sort of say, oh, look at all these bad things that could happen in in elections and political manoeuvring all that kind of stuff which is obviously we talked about and that's important to mention but also just to step back from that as well and see it as a wider concern about a mindset of hyper mistrust because there's a complete lack of authenticity in everything that we see you know almost on a daily basis i guess that would be the extreme that it, that it would go mm-hmm. to and your point to sort of say well that sort of is already happening right that is definitely already happening but I guess I would sort of said, well, exactly right. When you putting another technology that makes that even easier to do and even more kind of harder to see through, you know, lie and mistruth or whatever. Well, it's something that won't just have impacts in the realms of elections, if not managed properly, but in, in, in all our aspects of our lives. Right. Um, and I guess the advertising point is, a lot of the time what worries me about certain material products often that have a say an impact so like an environmental impact or something is that they sell a lifestyle alongside the product the image of a lifestyle and that's you know often not real right i mean car adverts are the best ones for this right or oh, watches watch i love watches, watches. <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and if you're put in that advert it comes all the more convincing yeah yeah because that's it. All they want is your attention. If I'm, yeah. So that's the, the final point then, just quickly on what I was talking about. It was advertising. I see this being a very real commercial application. I don't know how the legalities of it would work, but I could very much see that you you sign over, you you join up to a social media platform, and they get they own your images or whatever. And then all of a sudden you, you're scrolling one day and you see your friends and you in an advert. And it's nothing that's ever happened, but you're driving down 
wonderful country road in a country you've never been to and you're having a great time in this very sporty car that's going to get your attention because you'll see people you know be like wait a minute and that's me and that's all they want as an advertiser is for you to watch the advert really and i think that could be a very real possibility in not very long yeah and then what they want you to do is when you're is to see yourself in that right in that advert that that position of success or power that's the whole point of the suit it's not necessarily a bad thing but i any anything that sort of ramps up consumerism and the idea that you can buy lifestyles with material goods i'm always going to be a little bit a little bit kind of wary of i think but maybe people are wary of that right it's not the 1950s anymore when you see something on the tv and go i must have it <laughs> like, yeah. but, um, but you do have this kind of uh, brand recognition which kind of gets put into you and things like that but it isn't like that anymore but maybe yeah maybe that i don't know maybe that will happen more when you see yourself in things yeah because everybody's narcissist, right? So they just want to see pictures of themselves. I'd like it, great. He's, he says while doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> so there we go. I think that was interesting. And it was really interesting to hear a lot about this technology because um, I don't, you know, I don't really know much about it. I know of it. It was interesting to hear its history and the intention of it and that sort of story that we often get with new technologies. But there's a kind of, you know, ethical tension or battle going on sometimes with some of these new technologies uh, and we talked a little bit about not just what they do and where they are but the applications they could have and the problems that could cause but also important as we you know came near the end that there are some positive applications of this so it's just something here i guess that we'll, people will become more and more aware of and hopefully we've helped in, in some way we've made people or helped people become a bit more aware of this technology and of what it could do here look, i think it's really quite interesting and some of it's good fun like some of the stuff you can go and play around with like those websites as i mentioned we'll link them like this city is not real they're good fun to just play around with and think that's compute that's been generated from scratch by a computer okay that's quite cool but yeah who knows where it will go it's only been it was invented at what six years ago so it's not been around for long no yeah. well there we go all right thanks very much si yeah cheers that's no, and uh, um see you yeah, yeah. <laughs>